Next Sunday morning, our church will begin the observance of Advent. And Advent simply means coming. It is an observance that is to help to prepare our hearts as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, even as we look forward to his second coming. Put another way, Advent is a reminder of why we celebrate Christmas, the presence of God with us. It's with the thought of why we celebrate Christmas in mind that I would have you turn now with me to the ninth chapter of Esther, where we will read verses 20 to 22 and then verse 28. Esther chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into a day of celebration." He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. The Feast of Purim. It is a Hebrew celebration day, and let me relay to you something of the background for it. It's an interesting story, I think. From the time that God foretold in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that the woman's seed would crush the serpent's head, Satan has been hell-bent on destroying the line of the promised Messiah. It begins in Genesis chapter 4. It carries over into Genesis chapter 6. It is especially notable in the Exodus, which we studied together earlier. The connection between Esther and Exodus proves uncanny. In both accounts, the Israelites are under the rule of a foreign empire, Persia, and compared to Egypt. Prior kings, Cyrus, and a pharaoh had shown favor to the Hebrews to the point of even giving them their own portion of land. Susa in Persia and Goshen in Egypt. In both accounts, Israel had found favor through two young men, Daniel and Joseph, who God had given the ability to interpret dreams. Only in both accounts, a new king came to the throne. In Exodus chapter 1, we learn that the new Pharaoh did not know of this Joseph. And Xerxes, who had replaced Cyrus, was ungodly and arrogant, just as the new Pharaoh had been. The new Pharaoh in Egypt gave an edict, if you remember, to kill all the Hebrew male children. Another effort on the part of the serpent to destroy the line by which the Messiah 
would come. God, however, raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses to deliver his people. Xerxes signed a decree introduced by Haman, the serpent figure in the book of Esther. But yet again, God raised up Esther to deliver his people. The story is indeed a familiar one. Antiochus Epiphanes would also seek to wipe out the Jews in the second century BC, only to be thwarted by Judas Maccabeus. And Herod would seek to kill all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. Only Joseph would be led of the Holy Spirit out into Egypt. Listen, Satan cannot win. He could not win before Christ's coming, and he cannot win as we now await Christ's second coming. Even when the serpent figure Hitler arose, God preserved the Hebrew people. And interestingly, the biblical book that especially sustained the Jews was Esther and the tradition of Purim. The significance of the holiday and the message of the Esther story were not lost on the Nazis. They would kill on the spot any Jew in the prison camps who possessed a copy of the book of Esther. And yet the Jews wrote copies of this biblical book from memory. The story was most precious to the Jews facing mass death because in it they found assurance and hope that they and not their enemy would triumph against all expectation. In chapter 1, the Persian king divorced his wife, Queen Vashti, because she refused to heed one of his commands that would have humiliated her. And Vashti's dismissal led to a young Jewish girl by the name of Esther winning a beauty contest in chapter 2, whereby she became the king's next wife. No one knew that this young lady was a Jew, and that would prove significant. In chapter 3, Haman plotted and schemed to have all the Jews killed by an edict of the king. When Mordecai, Esther's cousin and adopted carekeeper, learned of Haman's plot, he gains Esther's attention in chapter 4. Mordecai ultimately sent a message to the queen telling her to win the ear of him and to find a way to spare her people. Only Esther cited one key problem to Mordecai's request. The Persian law stated that you had to be invited into the king's presence. If a person went before the king uninvited, he could extend his golden scepter as a sign of favor, or he would have the individual killed. In the face of such grave danger, Esther was bold for the glory of God and the good of his people. She says courageously in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, I will go to the king. 
which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The king did not kill Esther. Rather, he extended to her his golden scepter. Consequently, in chapters 5 through 9, Esther wisely sets into place a plan to thwart the design of Haman and to preserve God's people. In his sovereignty, as communicated through the words of Mordecai in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, God had set the stage for Esther to serve his kingdom for such a time as this. Notably then, Purim became a holiday of gladness and feasting to celebrate the providence of God. What is providence? It is the most high God ruling in the affairs of men. It is the hand behind the headlines. It is God working out the redemptive story of his people. Teacher John Robb led a week-long seminar in Moscow. At the conclusion of that conference, just before Robb was set to leave, a doctor named Mirza from a predominantly Muslim region came to Robb's hotel. He had been at the conference, and he wanted to see Robb off. Rob spoke with him briefly and wanted so desperately to give Mirza a copy of the Bible translated into Russian, but unfortunately he had given away all of the copies that he had brought with him. Only wouldn't you know it, just before Rob left, several Gideons arrived with a load of New Testaments translated into Russian. That is providence. Mirza, who treated Muslims physically as a doctor, from that point forward would also share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet, I think trusting in the providence of God sometimes can be like the book series, Where's Waldo? Sometimes you have to look closely to find him. The biblical book, Esther, has a where's God ring to it. The Holocaust most certainly had a where's God ring to it. And maybe that's another reason why the Jews in the Nazi concentration camps especially found solace from Esther. It is the only book in Scripture where the name of God is never mentioned, not once. Nevertheless, perhaps the absence of God's name in the account of Esther is purposeful because God's ways are so often hidden from you and me. We cannot see Him moving, but He's moving. We lose a job, where's God? 
A relationship comes to an end. Where's God? We battle a chronic illness. Where's God? Pharaoh murders babies. Hitler attempts genocide. A deranged individual walks into a school and begins to shoot children. Where's God? From our limited human understanding, life can be filled with a multitude of where's God moments. And so there's Purim, a celebration to help remind us that God's redemptive plan and God's redemptive purposes will always prevail. Although his name cannot be found anywhere in the book of Esther, the Lord's hand is behind all the headlines. Where's God? Dr. A.W. Tozer says, God is moving undisturbed and unhindered toward the fulfillment of those eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. My friends, that is providence. And so it is in those where's God moments of your life, I want you to know that he is working toward a greater design than we could ever think or imagine. The psalmist writes in Psalm 2, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. If Haman had exterminated the Jews in accordance with his raging and plotting, the line of the Messiah would have been extinguished. <laughs> but while the world rages and plots, against our God, it does so in vain. The Lord rose up his servant Esther for such a time until in the fullness of time, he would raise up his servant Mary and send forth his son. Satan could not prevent his coming. And Satan cannot prevent his victory. And so it is, Purim points us to the means that God preserved the lineage through which the Savior of the world would come. It is why the celebration of Purim especially stands out to me because it points us to Advent. Where's God? The virgin Mary conceived and gave birth to a son and called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. No day better answers the where's God question than Christmas. 
It is, after all, God's working out his redemptive story for his people. It is God who has worked out his redemptive story for you and for me. Remember from verse 22, Purim was an annual observance to remind God's people of when sorrow was turned into joy and mourning into a day of celebration. It commemorates the celebration, the survival of the covenant nation. We annually observe Christmas on December 25th to commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ. We don't actually know when Jesus was born. Nevertheless, even before Jesus' birth, Europeans had observed something called the winter solstice. In that, they celebrated how the worst of winter was behind them and how extended times of sunlight and joy lay ahead of them. The establishment of observing Christmas during the fourth century was intended to replace the pagan rituals of the winter solstice with the real reason to celebrate a light shining in the darkness, which the darkness cannot overcome. Remember also from verse 22, Purim was a time of feasting and joy, of giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. I think of the celebration that comes with family at Christmas. I'm sure you may have special traditions in your own home, maybe a special meal that you eat. Decorating the tree can be special. Chamlin just the other day was wanting us to make sure we get the tree up with the lights on so that we can hang decorations on it. And then we frequently give presents to those we love. But I also think of how Christmas season can be marked by blessing others. So many ways exist to display the same selfless, sacrificial spirit that our Savior showed at his coming. How many of you have heard the salvation bell ring already this season? The Red Kettle debuted in San Francisco in 1891 to fund a Christmas dinner for 1,000 poor individuals. Bells, however, were not rung until 1900. There was a young girl, she was 16 years old, her name was Amelia Kunkel, and she rang the Salvation Army bell first. She had stood on a corner in New York City with just the red kettle, and people passed her by left and right, no one stopping to put any coins in her kettle. And she was so bothered by it that the next day she went to Woolworths, she found a bell, she purchased it, and when it was her turn to stand by her kettle again, she began ringing a bell. And wouldn't you know it, more people stopped and more people put money in her kettle. And she would say, Merry Christmas. God bless you. 
The Salvation Army bell is now synonymous with Christmas giving as bell ringers of all ages continue to brave the cold, united in their resolve to help those who are less fortunate. That's just one of many ways that you and I can provide gifts to those in need. Our Christmas basket program is another and you can think of many other ways that this Christmas season, you can bless others. Why? Because Christ came. And because we want to serve our Savior. Remember finally from verse 28, Purim was to be observed in every generation, by every family, and the memory of these days should never die out among their descendants. To properly observe Purim from generation to generation, every Hebrew family needed to first understand exactly what and why they celebrated. The same is true for us this Christmas. It is the reason why I believe observing Advent can especially help us. Because Advent turns our hearts away from ourselves and sets our sights on the reason for the season. His name is Jesus. This year, beginning next Sunday through our Christmas Eve service, we will light five candles as a congregation. The first standing for the promise of hope. The second standing for the preparation through prophecy. The third standing for the presence of peace. The fourth standing for the gift of love. And the fifth is the Christ candle. Let us then begin, even now, preparing our hearts for the celebration of what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about the one who came. And what is so beautiful about an account like Esther is that Satan could not thwart his coming. And even though Satan even now wants to disrupt the redemptive story, when we shine the light of Jesus in this darkness, Satan cannot win. And so let Christmas be about the light of Christ shining through us. Let Winstanley Baptist Church truly be a light on a hill that cannot be put out. And let us again prepare our hearts for Christmas. Why we celebrate it. What we celebrate. And let us focus on nothing else this season. Pray with me.
Heavenly Father, while the nations rage, your glory prevails. And so we bow now before you, knowing for certain that the little baby who was born, who grew and walked this earth without sin, who was nailed to a tree so that I would not have to be, and is risen from the grave, that this Christ and his story shall never die. And those who are in Christ shall never die either. We have a story to tell. It's a glorious story. It's about Emmanuel, God with us. And even in those moments of our lives where we might wonder, where are you, God? Remind us, Holy Spirit, that you are with us. And your redemptive story will prevail. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is a Christmas song. Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel. If you have a decision this morning to make, the author is open.